Amen. Great. Matthew chapter 5. Get that open in front of you. I'm just going to move this stand lest I move it less delicately in a moment. The hour is late and we've had long journeys, but I am preaching in my slippers, <laughs> so I am happy. I did it at the Amy conference last week. <laughs> Let's read Matthew 5. I'll read up to the um, end of verse 10. But we're looking at 1 to 4 especially. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, back to basics. That's a phrase that um, we came up with when Simon and I were emailing backwards and forwards some months ago about what we might look at for this weekend away together. And I was offering things that we've been doing at Anchor Church, amongst which was um, the suggestion of Matthew 5, 1 to 16, which is where we will be for these four sessions over the weekend. And as I say, we've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount in Anchor Church on and off for the last year, and I've just loved going through it. And one of the standout things for me going through it this time has been, as you read through the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, how every part of it just keeps bringing me back to the start and back to these verses at the start of Matthew 5. If the Sermon on the Mount did not start with these words, blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn, then the rest of what Jesus says would be to our ruin. Every bit of the sermon, as you read through it, you read a little bit of, a bit of it, you really dwell on it, and yet again, <laughs> in yet another way, you realize your poverty of spirit. Yet again, in yet another way, you are mourning your sin. Yet again, in yet another way, you are hungering and thirsting for righteousness, to truly live as one of God's people. And so yet again, you're brought back to the start, back to these verses, and you hear these wonderful words, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, and so on. And grace lifts up your head and on you go. 
But that's not just Matthew 5, 6, and 7 that keeps bringing you back to these truths, is it? That's every day of the Christian life. (laughs) You keep coming back to basics, and grace lifts up your head, and on you go for another day. So this weekend, I hope, is not going to feel like too much hard work in these talks. I hope, rather, it's going to be refreshing as we come back to basics, which is what we should be doing all the time anyway, isn't it? This, you don't advance beyond this. You live by this. Now, there won't really be any headings generally for most of these talks because, you know, it's the Beatitudes. They are their own headings. You can't make up any better headings. But if you want a heading that kind of summarizes um, at least the first two talks, if not the whole lot, I think it would be this. Blessed are the repentant. Blessed are the repentant. And let me try to explain that with a bit of context for where we are in Matthew's Gospel, okay? Because if you look at Matthew's Gospel up to this point and what Jesus has been teaching and John the Baptist before him, it's basically just been this. The kingdom of heaven is coming, therefore repent. So you see that in in chapter 4, verse 17 from Jesus' lips. You see it from John the Baptist, the chapter before. The kingdom of heaven is coming. And that is such good news. (laughs) The kingdom of heaven is coming. That is really good news. As I understand it, what that phrase means, the kingdom of heaven is coming, because you know it sounds good, but then you can think, what exactly does it mean when a child asks you, hey, what does that mean? The kingdom of heaven is coming. As I understand it, it means God's rule is coming, and especially God's putting things right rule is coming. And that is really good news. And just note, that is how Jesus leads off with the good news. So it's probably a good way of leading off with the good news, but it strikes me that it might be somewhat underutilized. God's putting things right rule is coming. Do you feel that Everything is just wrong in the world, in society, in our own frailty and weakness, in our own hearts. Do you feel everything is just wrong? Of course you do. Well, God's rule is coming to put things right. That's brilliant news, isn't it? Isn't that a great way to start off announcing the gospel? (laughs) fantastic and you then see it in Jesus's ministry if you just look at the end of chapter four at some point this weekend and just read you can see it's coming God's putting things right rule is coming through Jesus he's the one who brings it here's the thing though if you want to be a part of that you do realize that you need to be put right as well don't you you do realize you need a fundamental change of direction in your life. That is, you need to repent. The kingdom of heaven is coming, so repent. That's what we've had up to the end of chapter 4. And then you get this at the start of chapter 5. And it seems to me that what Jesus is doing here is showing us what a repentant heart looks like. And what blessing, 
what kingdom of heaven blessing there is for the repentant. Hence, blessed are the repentant. I think that summarizes at least the first few verses. And it is a really striking and solemn moment, isn't it? As Jesus opens his mouth to teach us. There are crowds there, verse 1 of chapter 5. There are disciples there too. And Jesus sits down the position of a teacher on a mountainside. Yep, the word can mean anything from a mound up to a full-on mountain. doesn't really matter. The important thing to notice is that when Matthew mentions mountains, something significant is about to happen, and it's normally to do with Jesus' authority. He sits down, he opens his mouth to teach us, and he begins, actually just as the book of Psalms begins, with the word blessed. It's a big moment. It's a rather wonderful moment as well, isn't it? The prospect that Jesus might pronounce you to be blessed. Wow. It's a big moment. What does it mean, though? The word blessed. How would you explain that word to someone? Perhaps you know that in um, other contexts it could simply be translated as happy. And it's important not to lose the sense of joy in the word, but it, it's more deeply wonderful than simply being happy. Now, I had to explain it once when we were doing Bible lunchtime club at Shelford School. And we had reception in year one in that time. And we were doing big promises of God from the Bible. And we were doing Abraham summarized as God promises blessing. Right, okay. How are we going to explain the word blessing? What it means to be blessed? to a five-year-old when they've probably only heard it used in the context of sneezing. How are you going to explain it? And the definition we came up with was this. To be blessed means that you're happy because God is smiling at you. You're happy because God is smiling at you. You're the happy recipient of God's favor. You know that all is well between you and God. And that's what Jesus means when he uses this word, blessed. And it's expanded upon in the second half of each of these wonderful statements. And what are the characteristics of the blessed person, according to Jesus? Is it that they're particularly driven or talented or able to get what they want out of any situation or have that kind of personality that just seems to do well in any given situation? No, it's that they're repentant. And just for this evening, they are poor in spirit and they mourn their sin. Those are two chapter headings you will never see in any book you might pick up from the self-help books of the book, bookshops. How to be blessed. Chapter one, be poor in spirit. Chapter two, mourn. <laughs> You'd be looking at the cover to check you picked up the right book. Those are the first two chapters in Jesus' book on what it means to be blessed. And we're just going to spend the rest of our time thinking about them. So being poor in spirit, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't simply mean being poor in a material sense. It doesn't mean that. Sometimes people will still try and say, that kind of is what it means, and you have to sell all you have and go and live in the wilderness, but that's not what it means. The word for poor here is not 
a word that just means a little bit poor, kind of less than average kind of poor, it's a you-need-to-beg level of poverty. And nowhere are we told that that kind of material poverty should be considered a blessing. This is poor in spirit. It means you need to realize that in terms of your standing before God, by yourself you have nothing. You are poor. And not just a little bit poor. Not just slightly less than average kind of poor. You need to beg level of poverty. We are beggars, nothing more. It's realizing that in the presence of a holy God, by yourself you have nothing to merit his favor. That in his presence, in the presence of God, without the mercy of God, you would be undone completely, ruined, whoever you are. You think of people in the Bible when they have something of an experience of the presence of God and how they react. Three examples. Think of Moses at the burning bush. He sees the burning bush and he's a bit curious, doesn't know what it is. When he realizes he's in the presence of God, it says he covers his face because he's afraid to look. Think of Isaiah when he had a vision of God on his throne. What does he say? Woe! Woe is me! I am ruined! Think of Peter in the New Testament, when he and the others had caught no fish all night, and then Jesus comes along and says, drop your nets, and they drop the nets, and there's so many fish, the, the, the nets are breaking, and the boats are sinking, and what does Peter say? Well, he falls at Jesus' knees, and he says, Lord, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. That's poor in spirit. And blessed is the person who is poor in spirit, who knows that in the presence of God, without the mercy of God, they would be ruined. Do you know that? Do you know that? Maybe you can point to a time 20 years ago when you felt that you really knew that. Do you know it now, today? Not just kind of you assent to it, you know the doctrine. Do you know it? that in the presence of God, without the mercy of God, you would be undone. Now, you remember the story that Jesus told of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Go to the temple to pray, and the Pharisee stands there proudly at the front and says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other people and that I'm really good and religious. And the tax collector stands at a distance and won't even lift, um, lift up his head. And he beats his chest and he says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Which one went home right with God, says Jesus, the tax collector? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Are you poor in spirit? Maybe you used to be like the tax collector, but you've kind of made your way up to the front. Are you poor in spirit? When we meet in our churches, it's a gathering of the poor in spirit. Just remind yourself of that when you come to a church meeting. We're the poor in spirit. We don't need to pretend otherwise. 
and our advertising shouldn't pretend otherwise. This is a gathering of the poor in spirit. If you think God will accept you just as you are, and you'll just go to heaven when you die, just as you are, you are not poor in spirit. If you think if God were just to show up, and you'd be totally fine, and you could just be able to look straight at him, you are not poor in spirit. If, dare I say, if someone said, if you could ask God one question, and you think you'd actually dare, <laughs> you are not poor in spirit. The poor in spirit know that they've got nothing in and of themselves which merits the favor of God. And praise the Lord, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That is amazing, isn't it? You've got poor in spirit as the noun or the noun phrase, something I was introduced to in homeschooling, and you're thinking, what adjective would you put with that noun? Jesus says, I've got one, blessed. Wow, you wouldn't have picked that, would you? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Who are the people who are going to be a part of God's putting things right rule in the world? Who are the people who are going to share in his kingdom? Not the mighty or the successful or the persuasive or the moral and upright and proud of it. The poor in spirit, the ones who look to themselves and say, unless there is a saviour, I would be ruined. That's a blessed person, says Jesus. And it's been said before, Isaiah had said it, hundreds of years before, Isaiah 66 verse 2, God says, this is the one I esteem, the one who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. Isaiah 57 verse 15, this is what the high and lofty one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is not about suppressing your personality, being therefore less than confident or timid. Think of Peter. He didn't stop being bold. That's not what poor in spirit means. It means that the more you look at God, the more that you know that you can only say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And then if that's you, these are just wonderful words, aren't they? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The gospel is right there, isn't it, in that verse. Just take one or two minutes, turn to the person next to you and reflect on that verse. Um, anything that's been said, pray about it, anything that comes to mind. I mean, you, you might want to talk about Romans 8 instead, that's fine. Um, but turn, turn to the person next to you and just for one minute, just praise God for that or tell, just tell each other, isn't that great? Check they're still awake and um, just one minute.
Okay. We'll have time for more air in the souffle tomorrow in our sessions. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Next verse, just for this evening. The next thing about the blessed person, the next characteristic of the repentant, they mourn. And really, I think the context tells you what that's getting at, doesn't it? You've had chapters three and four telling you really clearly you need to repent. And then you get the opening of this sermon saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, and then you get this. So this is mourning, which naturally flows on from realizing you are poor in spirit. This is about knowing that you are a sinner, that you are sinful in your heart, and feeling distressed about that, at looking at your sins and, and feeling sorrow because of them. Because you see who God is and how wonderful he is and it distresses you that you sin against him. You see how good and right his word is and it distresses you that you break it. You see how much your saviour suffered for you and it distresses you that you contributed to his suffering and yes of course the glorious news of Christianity is that Jesus has died for all of that and you are forgiven and your guilt is taken away but that doesn't mean you no longer you, you kind of just feel neutral about that when you hurt someone you love and they forgive you, I mean, you, you don't suddenly feel neutral about it, do you? It's a cause of sorrow. You wish you hadn't done it. You are comforted by their forgiveness, maybe even overwhelmed by it, but you don't suddenly feel nothing about the thing you did and the fact that you're still a sinner should grieve our hearts. John Stott wrote on this verse, that some Christians act as though being filled with the Holy Spirit ought to lead you to just have a perpetual grin. But that there is such a thing as Christian tears and that too few of us weep them. Do you mourn your sin? Does it grieve your heart that it is an offence against such a good God, against his word, against the saviour who was hung on a tree for you? Do you feel that? You should. This is godly sorrow. And it seems to me from the way that Jesus puts it here that it's what actually qualifies you to hear the gospel. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Because if you are not mourning, why would you even need comforting? And that's the name that's sometimes used for the Holy Spirit, isn't it? The Comforter, especially in John's Gospel. And it's wonderfully true. It's wonderfully true, isn't it? For those who are poor in spirit, who say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner, and who mourn their sin and who are grieved by it, well, the news of Jesus the Saviour comes to that person the news that says Jesus died for sinners, he took what your sin deserves, 
so that the kingdom of God can be yours, that news comes to that person and the spirit of God, as it were, calls alongside their spirit and says, it's true. It's true and it applies directly to you. He gets alongside, he calls alongside our spirit and he comforts us. And he instills in us the hope of an even greater comfort to come when we will see our saviour and all sinfulness will be gone and there will be nothing about us that causes us to grieve anymore. We'll be like him. What wonderful comfort that will be. <laughs> be marvellous, won't it? We will see him as he is because we will be like him. Blessed are those whom the Holy Spirit convicts of their sin. Blessed are those whom the Holy Spirit comforts. Blessed are the repentant. Brothers and sisters, just reflect on these verses as you go to bed and as you get up tomorrow. They are easy to remember, aren't they? Take them into your daily lives. Blessed are the repentant. They are poor in spirit. They mourn their sin, but they will be comforted and the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that as you start to teach your people your words, begin with grace, and if they didn't, we would be undone. And we thank you that you pronounce blessing on those who are poor in spirit and who mourn their sin and who come to you. And we thank you so much for this glorious news and we pray that you would help us to just always be coming back to this each and every day until the day, until we get there when we see you and are with you forever. Lord, thank you that you so bless us, your people. Remind us of that. May it be such comfort, such joy, such hope. Cause us to sing of your grace in all that we do. We pray this for your glory. Amen. Thanks, Christopher. Well, I'm taking it that your prayer that we're called to sing um, would get an immediate answer as we sing a couple of songs. And love the musicians to come and join me, therefore, to, to lead us in those songs. You need to